Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Our listeners have questions about uh, baptism. Why is it that we would say the Lord's Supper in a Presbyterian church is not the Lord's Supper or in a Baptist church, according to Christ's institution, but their baptisms are valid? We have a question about the government punishing homosexuality. A little feedback on our conversation with Stephen Peach on women's ordination in the Lutheran Church of Australia. All in listener email and the issues, etc. comment line on this Thursday, August the 3rd. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time for listener email. That email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. And the comment line, 618-223-8382. The 68th regular convention of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod concluded today. We were there on Sunday, and I was remarking, I've never done this before, but kudos to the people that pull that whole, it's a, it's a major production off. I, I probably would die of a heart attack if I was involved in that. It's got a lot of moving parts, and it has to happen on schedule, and you got to move a lot of people around, and, and you got to make sure that all the technical aspects, which are pretty massive, are working. They had a little technical problem at the beginning. I think they are actually doing some voice and hand voting at the beginning. That seemed to have gotten worked out over the course of the first day, but there was a lot to get done, and they, they got a lot done. And it appears a lot of good was done. At the 68th regular convention of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Yep. Well, are we going to be uh, talking with somebody? Yeah, say, we'll tomorrow? try to get maybe Tom Halverson or Mark Stern on tomorrow to give us a recap of the entire convention. But I think definitely the highlight was the rebuke of Concordia University, Texas, and all those involved in their plans to succeed from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and to put at the top of everyone's radar, the Concordia University system. Yeah, and that it's in need of some reform. And then really what they did was they just painted a big old flag on the Concordia University system. And the degree to which some of those universities have just kind of gone their own way. I think it's safe to say, who knows what Concordia University Texas is going to do. They might just double down and keep going in their efforts to to steal the university from the synod. Let's hope that, let's hope and pray they repent. Yeah, and or you know, either that or they or they will repent, but there's really there's really it's it's entirely up to them right now. The synod in its most official capacity by a overwhelming vote said what you're doing is wrong, repent, and then they can work out all the details after that. But we'll see. Let's begin with Thomas. He says, hello, I live in Belfast, Northern Ireland, where there is currently no Lutheran church, but I have been saturating myself in the teachings of confessional Lutheranism for about seven years now. After years of wrestling with the different doctrines of evangelical and Protestant churches and praying for God's guidance, I believe I have found the purest doctrine within the teachings of confessional Lutheranism. 
Today, I'm writing to ask if you could help me answer a difficult question that I feel I have never been able to answer satisfactorily when I've been asked it on multiple occasions while trying to defend the Lutheran biblical teaching on the sacraments. I find it extremely difficult to explain why Lutherans hold that Trinitarian baptism is still considered as valid even when it is administered in other denominations, for example, Baptist churches, evangelical churches, but the administration of the Lord's Supper is not considered as valid in these denominations. I know these other denominations are still in error on their understanding slash teaching of baptism, but why is it still considered as valid and the Lord's Supper isn't even the words of institution are always read with their version of the Lord's Supper? The response I always get is, if you believe that baptism is valid because the word of God slash Trinitarian name is read with the application of the water, even though it is not correctly understood, then why is it not the same with the Lord's Supper when the word of God slash words of institution are read out loud with the serving of the bread and wine, even if it is correctly understood? A Lutheran pastor friend has tried to help me answer this question better in the past, but I don't know if it's just that I can't articulate that explanation well enough yet to others or that I need a bit of a more satisfactory explanation. But it is the one question I seem to get asked a lot by people from these other denominations, and because I can't answer it satisfactorily, it leaves me looking a bit silly, like I'm talking nonsense and I'm not able to defend this Lutheran stance on the sacraments. It seems like an inconsistent explanation that one sacrament is still considered valid, but the other isn't. These churches that teach a Zwinglian slash symbolic doctrine of the sacraments still use God's word for both sacraments, even though they'll change the meaning of those words for both sacraments in the next breath. So why can't baptism still be considered valid and the Lord's Supper isn't? Your help would be deeply appreciated. These are great questions, and thank you, Thomas, for listening in Belfast, Northern Ireland. So part of the problem is with that term valid, because it, it, I don't think it's precise enough. And these are very good questions, and these are not easy questions either. The difficulty here is that when you use the term valid, I think the ordinary connotation is that it is either a Christian baptism or it isn't. And I think that's the way we need to ask the question about baptism and the Lord's Supper. Is this baptism as Christ gave it, which would make it a Christian baptism? So let's avoid the word valid. It's a little bit of a murky word. The question is, is this baptism as Christ gave it? Is this the Lord's Supper as Christ gave it? And the answer to the question with regard to the Lord's Supper, we, we would say, look, uh, let's just take the Baptists. Either they have the Lord's Supper or they don't. And if they have the Lord's Supper, they're all eating to their condemnation because they explicitly deny the presence of Christ's body and blood. So are they eating the Lord's Supper? Now, Paul says that when you mess with the institution, when you mess with how the words are to be understood or how they're given, or when you're not even paying attention, he says to the Corinthians, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Then he turns right around and says, and some of you eat and drink to your own condemnation. So he seems to be saying they have abandoned the Lord's Supper for their own supper. And he says, if you're hungry, go home and eat there because this isn't about filling your stomachs. 
in the case of the Lord's Supper, is this a Lord's Supper as Christ gave it for, say, the Baptist congregation? What are they doing? They use the words of institution. They eat and they drink. So they follow Christ's institution outwardly, but they explicitly teach that this is not Christ's body and blood. So either they're receiving Christ's body and blood to their condemnation or they have altered the institution. We would say they altered the institution. What they have there is something, but it's not the Lord's Supper. They're eating a memorial meal, but they're not eating Christ's body and blood for the forgiveness of his sins or to their condemnation because they've altered the institution. The other thing we need to say is that the Lord's Supper always goes with teaching. So the teaching regarding the Lord's Supper is important. What is taught there? So Paul says, they're not discerning the body, which means they've not been taught to discern the body. Or they've been taught to discern the body and they've ignored that teaching. So the Lord's Supper always goes with teaching. Baptism. Does the Baptist baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit? Do they continue to teach that the triune God that these people are being baptized in the name of the triune God. Yes. What do they deny? They deny its effects. They do not deny the essence of baptism, that is God's, uh, washing in God's name, but they do deny its effects. And again, we come back to teaching. Can that be corrected with teaching? Can someone thus baptized be corrected to say, this is what God was doing in and through baptism when you were baptized, even though at the time you either didn't realize it or you denied it? And the answer is yes. So it was Dr. Norman Nagel who used to say in his very simple way, baptism is never a nothing. It's either a baptism and it's everything that Christ gave, or it is not a baptism, but it's never a nothing. And that's why we say this baptism enacted according to Christ's institution can't be a nothing. Can it be denied? Yes, but it can't be a nothing. And the difference with the Lord's Supper is that the institution actually is being changed because the teaching regard regarding Christ's words, this is my body, this is my blood, eat and drink for the forgiveness of sins, has been changed. The words haven't been changed. But what those words mean actually has been changed. Aaron resides in Falls Church, Virginia. He writes, Pastor Wilkin, I was having trouble squaring what your response on the listener comment line about civil punishment and homosexuality with what Dr. Mike Middendorf said on the original episode on God commanding the killing of homosexuals in Romans 132. I understand you to say having civil punishment was something Western civilization had seen for millennia as reasonable to one degree or another. Dr. Middendorf seemed to rule out civil punishment altogether, saying he didn't think that would be applicable to the sin of homosexual behavior in any case, just as the government shouldn't be perhaps punishing greed or disobeying parents or for disobeying parents or anything like that. Am I misunderstanding something here? Furthermore, stipulating that the Bible doesn't command civil laws mandating the death penalty for homosexuality, does it forbid them? Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening in Virginia. Aaron. Dr. Mindendorf and I were speaking to two kind of subtly different points. Mine was simply a recognition that the laws of Western civilization have included criminal penalties for homosexuality and for adultery and for fathering children out of wedlock and all, for all sorts of things that we no longer punish civilly. That's just an observation of history. Whereas 
Dr. Middendorf was dealing with the question, was St. Paul advocating that the Roman government should be executing homosexuals when he says that homosexuality, among all these other sins, is worthy of death before God? And he says that's not what Paul is doing. Otherwise, he would have called for the Roman government to punish greed and disobedience to parents and all, all sorts of things like that. So he was making a different observation than I was. Because Paul, living in that Roman context, simply could have said these things should be punished by death, by the government. But he doesn't. He acknowledges that all these sins, not simply homosexuality, but all these sins before God are worthy of death. And again, in the course of Paul's long argument from Romans chapter 1 into Romans chapter 2, he goes from kind of the hypothetical to the you of Romans chapter 2, that where we can find everyone else guilty of all these sins, ultimately it comes down to where we stand, where I stand before God, and I too, along with the homosexual and the extortioners and all the other things that he lists there, I too stand worthy of death before God. My name is Tessie, and I'm calling from Waterloo, Illinois. And I think that the pro-life community needs to start consistently using the term elective abortion instead of abortion. An elective abortion being one that is not necessary to save the life or physical health of the mother or the child. I know Dr. Harrison of the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists says that the treatment of a miscarriage is not an abortion and that the treatment of an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. However, I have heard from two different sources, uh, one being a local physician, that in the medical community, at least some parts of the medical community, any procedure that ends a pregnancy without a live baby is called an abortion. And we are hearing about the doctors who are leaving Idaho for Oregon and Minnesota because they can no longer give their pregnant patients the care they need in Idaho. I think that the public is confused by the conflicting stories. I think we would get and keep more members of the public on our side if we emphasize that we are talking about elective abortions abortions that are not necessary to save the life or physical health of the mother or the child, that we are not talking about making necessary medical care illegal. Thank you for listening to my thoughts. I understand your point. I really do, that we want to keep our language precise, but we don't want to concede to those who are calling, say, treatment for miscarriage or nectar pregnancy and abortion, we don't concede that to them. It's not true. In the case of a miscarriage, it is not killing the child. The child has already died. That's the very definition of a miscarriage. So we need to maintain the language, what abortion actually is, what the, how it differs from an ectopic pregnancy and a miscarriage, without conceding to those outside or inside the medical community who want to muddy the waters so that they can spread false rumors like doctors are leaving Idaho because, or, or doctors believing it. You'd think they'd be smarter than that. They went to medical school after all. They know their subject. 
Doctors somehow believing that because Idaho says you can't perform an abortion means they can no longer treat their patients for ectopic pregnancies or uh, I'd like to actually find one of those doctors. I don't know if they actually exist. Give me a name of a doctor who left Idaho because they actually believed that that law was going to make it impossible to treat their patients for something other than abortion. If they're doing it, they're extremely disingenuous about it because they know the difference between an abortion and a miscarriage and an abortion and an ectopic pregnancy. Now, I have no problem with the term elective abortion, but let's not concede to those who are spreading the information and muddying the definitions in order simply to scare people about these laws that are being passed. When we come back from this break, we got some more listener email, the issues, etc. comment line. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay tuned. If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speakers' presentations, all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. I'm Chaplain Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Congregations work hard to keep the Word of Christ dwelling richly in His disciples now and into eternal life. We work to help and support that effort. Learn more at lcms.org worship. You'll find resources on the church here, Bible studies on the hymns of the day, audio helps for learning to sing our services, and look for worship planning resources to find the latest from LCMS Worship. That's lcms.org worship. May the word of Christ dwell richly in you. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. I'm assuming you got my message on the machine. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're going through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. That comment line number, 618-223-8382. And the email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Sweet and simple. God bless you, Jeanette. My question concerning the Nicene Creed, 
is the word very, very God, a very God. What does this mean, very? So you hear this word as well, probably during the distribution of the Lord's Supper. This is the very body of Christ given for you. Now, that's an archaic usage of the term very. We use very now as a, what shall we call it? It is an intensifier. It was a very hot day. It wasn't just a hot day. It was a very hot day. And we use it as kind of a simple intensifier. If you go to the King James Bible, you have Jesus saying, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, how do we translate that now? We say, truly, truly, I say to you, which is a good, very, very good way, very good way of, tra- of translating that. It simply means true. So when Jesus says verily, he's saying, truly, I say to you, or this is exceedingly true. Twice He repeats himself twice. Now, just as a note, what Jesus is actually saying in the original language is amen, amen. He uses that word, which has been translated verily or truly. But in either case, it all means the same thing. When you say amen at the end of your prayers, as Luther taught us, you mean that this is true. This is certain. This is true. So when they say very God of very God, it means true God of true God. Now, when we did our series with Pastor Will Whedon recently, what were we talking with Pastor Whedon about that led us into the creed where well, we, we did, did a whole series on the creed on the creed and we got to those words he had an excellent conversation about when it says why don't we just say very god why do we say very god of very god well we're talking about the second person of the trinity so this is the true god of the true god he's the true god from the true god he the first true God is Jesus, and the second true God is the Father. So this is true God of true God. Is the language archaic? Yes. Does it not sound right in our ears? Yes. But if we mess with that, it gets into a question about how do you word the creed that makes it sound as easy to understand as possible without watering it down. Every time you take a step away from, say, the old way of saying something, you run the risk of watering it down a little bit. Would it be clearer for us to say true God of true God? Yes. But that language moves glacially. And my evidence for that is the Lord's Prayer. We still say, Our Father who art in heaven. And it's the only place in everyday speech where we English speakers ever use that word art. And that's a good thing that that language moves glacially. Have you ever been to a, a How service? great thou art. How great thou art. That's true. Um, <laughs> what but, about somebody's uncle art? Yeah. If you've been to that service, I remember in college, they tried to update all the language for the chapel services because after all, we were young people and we needed to have the updated language. And it never sounded right to say, our Father who are in heaven. It should be our Father who is in heaven, right? Our Father who is in heaven. But they updated in college to our Father who are in heaven. So they had the complete disagreement between 
subject and verb there because they wanted it to sound modern, but they also didn't want to say our father who is in heaven. Then I think at one point when they did it, they just took the verb out entirely. Our father in heaven. And you see how you kind of, by trying to update the language, you kind of get farther and farther away from what we have originally said. Renee writes, thank you for the donation of your books, Objections Overruled 1, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, and Objections Overruled 2, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, to the attendees at this year's Higher Things Lutheran Youth Conferences. I'm looking forward to reading them with my kids to help them as they head to college. Thank you, Renee, for listening. So can you explain, Jeff, why why the kids at the two Higher Things Youth Conferences this summer in San Francisco and... Where was the San Francisco? Not San San Francisco in uh, San San Antonio, Antonio. and where else? Carbondale. Carbondale. Why did they get those two books? We got a generous gift from a grant from a foundation, and part of that uh, gift was to give each attendee about two thousand of this year's Higher Things conferences. The conference themes this year were was uh, Christian apologetics which are two books, Objections Overruled 1 and 2, deals with. So, beautifully, yes. Yeah, so uh, thanks to this generous gift from this generous foundation, we were able to, to send 4,000 books. Each attendee got both books, Objections Overruled 1 and Objections Overruled 2, Answering Arguments Against Christianity. Tweet? We don't respond to many tweets. Well, I, you I can't, call, I them tweet. you can't call them tweets anymore. There's a limited lifespan. The brand has changed. X. X. What's plural? Like I don't know. Say tweets. X's. I don't think. I don't think Elon Musk is a really smart guy, but sometimes he just shoots from the hip, and I don't think he's going to let that figure itself out. So let's just put X on everything and replace the bird, and then we'll figure out later what to call the action that you take when you post on X. We can say. Here's a message from Twitter. Well, it's not called Twitter anymore. It's, it's called, not called X. Twitter anymore. No, it's called X. Oh my goodness! I've been out of the loop for two. Although long. it's still, when I look at Twitter, it still says "search Twitter." And do you want to st- send your tweet? So I think they're still working all that out. Here's an X tweet, something from Jeff and Jessica at issues etc. Can we still say that? Is that acceptable to Mr. Yeah. Musk? At Issues ETC. But if you put in x.com slash Issues ETC, it will take you to our Twitter page. Really? Yeah, I tried it. At Issues ETC, I love the new Kids Have Questions series. My six-year-old always asks me these types of questions when I am trying to put him to sleep. I know, clever tactic to stay awake. But now we can listen to a podcast. Thank you for putting this together, and thank you for listening with you and your child, Jeff and Jessica. And, and what was the question? Our series, Kids Have Questions. Yeah. Oh, good. I hope it helps. I hope it helps. Uh, that was, a, it's a really fantastic idea. And it succeeded my expectations. Did you get to meet Pastor Connor? He was at the convention. He came up during our broadcast. I don't think you got to meet him. No. I'm either usually plugging things in or unplugging things. And I didn't get a chance to meet him. It's always good to meet people incarnationally in the flesh. And he stopped by and said, hey, I'm Pastor Jonathan Connor. I said, hey, great series. Was I there? Was I there? Yeah, but he came on my end of the table. I had way more traffic because the Lutheran Church Extension Fund had this little bear thing where if you put this app, 
you got points for some kind of contest. They were, they were and doing they put a, it at the end of my table. So there are all these people. I was like, wow, I'm a really popular guy. And then after a while, I feel it had nothing to do with me. They wanted to see the little bear and just you know put their little app in front of it to scan it to it win had a, something. It had a little QR code on it. It was part of their scavenger hunt that they were doing. That was nice of them to put it at our table. Drive Very a little nice. traffic We love there. Pastor Bart Day, head of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Ball-headed son of a gun. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., that's Friday, we'll get a review of the movies Barbie and Oppenheimer. Pastor Ted Gee says they're more alike than you think. And we'll talk with Dr. Scott Yenner about no-fault divorce. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc., Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to eighth grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road. Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org. Bahama Mama, Ocean Pacific, Paradise Island. Retreat from the heat with the shaved ice snow cone from Tropical Snow in Caseyville, Illinois. It's right across the street from Collinsville High School. Tropical Snow is open daily from 1 to 9. Premium snow, epic flavors, lots of love. Tropical Snow, across the street from Collinsville High School at 2134 South Morrison Avenue in Caseyville.